Well, good morning, folks. Great to see you all. And may I add to Sarah's wishes a happy new year to you all. Before we jump into the sermon, let's just be quiet for a moment or two. Sarah's already spoke about positioning ourselves for this new year. And even at a moment like this where we quieten ourselves to gather around the word of God at the beginning of this year, may he speak to us. So Lord, we put ourselves in a place to hear from you. For you have the words that we need to hear. Would you grace us with your presence? And would you strengthen us and guide us with your words? For Jesus' sake and to his glory we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Sarah has mentioned that we'll be kicking off a a new series in this new year called Table. And really the series itself is is designed to encourage us to be proactive in building community and building friendship with each other. Because what else is a church but a community of people who are pulled into friendship with one another through our mutual friendship with Jesus? (laughs) He's the guy who kind of pulls us all together. Maybe you're on your Facebook page and you get a list of mutual friends Well, for all of us here, we have a mutual friend in Jesus, and he's the one who has gathered us together in this particular community, this church, the People's Church. Caroline's going to come and lead a little bit of a response at the end of the sermon, but before she does that, I want to take a little bit of time to look at how important tables were to Jesus, how important table fellowship was for Jesus, because at the heart of his mission And at the heart of his ministry were tables. And I don't mean that in a metaphorical sense. I mean it in a very literal sense. At the heart of his mission and ministry were actual tables. Some of of which may have actually been built by him because I think he was reasonably good at making tables. But he was even better at gathering people around them. And Jesus quite simply would gather with people He would eat with them and he would share good news. Now, one of Jesus' favorite titles to refer to himself is this particular title, the Son of Man. If you have read any of the Gospels before, you will have come across this little term. And it's the the term that Jesus uses most often in reference to himself. So it's a a reference to Jesus. It's a a title to Jesus, the Son of Man. It's a kind of hero-type figure um, to get that kind of into your mind. But there are three ways in which the New Testament completes the sentence, the Son of Man came. So we read that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the first. The second one is this, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And the third one is this, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. Now let's look at those three statements together for a moment or two. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man came to seek and save 
the lost, and the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And when you look at those three statements, think about the first two. The first two statements are statements of purpose. They describe why Jesus came to earth. He came to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom. And he came to seek and save the lost. They describe the purpose of Jesus coming to earth. But the third one is different because it's not a statement of purpose. It's a statement of method. He came eating and drinking. It describes how Jesus came. It describes what he did. It described how he went about fulfilling his purpose, his mission, how he spent his time. And we're told that he came eating and drinking. Jesus would be found gathered around tables with people, eating and drinking with them and sharing good news. Now, Jesus' contemporaries, um, the Jews of his particular day, were aware of this Son of Man type figure. It was their hoped for hero, the person who was going to come and rescue them. And they had certain expectations around what this Son of Man type figure would look like. So they would have said that the Son of Man will come to vindicate the righteous and defeat God's enemies. That's the type of expectation that they had, an all-conquering hero. They didn't expect him to come and seek and save the lost. That expectation was peripheral to their understanding of the work of the Son of Man. They would have said that the Son of Man will come in glory and power, (laughs) not necessarily in a manger as we just celebrated last month. They expected a conquering war hero type figure. They would never have said that the Son of Man would come eating and drinking. But Jesus, of course, defies expectations. And I love how he defied expectations. And I love the sheer simplicity of his method. He defied expectations by gathering around tables with people. And quite often with people you wouldn't expect a rabbi like him to be associating with. He would be found eating and drinking with people. One of the most human things that we can do. One of the most joyous things that we can do. And it was in that context that he shared his good news. Now, Jesus was seriously into eating and drinking. I have a little bit of an idea that that Jesus would be a fan of shows like um, Come Dine With Me. Who here likes Come Dine With Me? Huh? Could you imagine being a guest at Jesus' house? There is actually a suggestion that, um, you know the story of the the guys who bring the, the, the paralytic to Jesus? Have you heard that story? And they make a hole in the roof and they lower the paralytic down. And Jesus says to them, your sins are forgiven. A number of scholars suggest that that was actually Jesus' own house. It was in his hometown. And I love that idea. It's only, it's only speculation, but Jesus is kind of saying tongue-in-cheek. You know, you're forgiven for putting a hole in my roof. <laughs> um, but if that was Jesus' own home, you could see that he would be a, a gracious and a generous host. But Jesus was seriously 
into eating and drinking, so much so that his enemies accused him of doing it to excess. They saw this man celebrating with people, a lover of life, a lover of food, a lover of drink, a lover of celebration and gatherings. And they used it against him. They called him a drunkard and a glutton, which of course he wasn't. But it was true, and they were right, that Jesus spent his time eating and drinking a lot of his time. It seems that his mission strategy was a long meal stretching into the evening. He did evangelism around a table with some grilled fish, a loaf of bread, and a jug of wine. That sounds like a pretty good mission strategy to me, and I think that we would do well to replicate that. Now, this was Jesus' method. He came eating and drinking, and a table seems to be his favorite forum to talk to people, to teach them about the kingdom of God. Last year, we spent quite a bit of time working our way through the first part of Luke's gospel. We're going to be doing that later on in the year. But um, in Luke's gospel, if you've been reading along, one of the things that you might have picked up is that it's full of stories of Jesus eating and drinking with people. It's particularly pronounced in the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to put up like a a quick little overview there just to give you a little bit of an idea of the amount of times that we find Jesus eating with people, with with tax collectors and sinners, as the scriptures say, at Levi's home. He's anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. He feeds the 5,000. He eats at the home of Martha and Mary. He condemns the Pharisees at a meal. At a meal, he urges people to invite not just their friends, but the poor and the marginalized into their home for food. He invites himself to dinner at Zacchaeus' home. There is, of course, the Last Supper, a meal with his closest friends. And then the risen Jesus has a meal with the two disciples in Emmaus. In fact, it has been said about Luke's gospel that Jesus is either going to a meal, he's either at a meal, or he's coming from a meal. That's kind of how it's all wrapped together in Luke's gospel. So even when Jesus is not eating and drinking, references to food, references to banquets and parties, well, they abound throughout Jesus' teachings in the gospel of Luke. So for example, and to name just a few, and I guess just to ram home the point, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells a story about the kingdom of God and its fulfillment. And of course, what is the picture? It's a banquet, a big meal. In Luke chapter 15, you'll know the, the story of the prodigal son. How does the, how does the parable end? It's a big, big celebratory meal, isn't it? Luke chapter 16, he contrasts the rich man who feasted sumptuously every day with a beggar who was hungry and was excluded from meals. So much of of Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God centers around meals. But he doesn't just use this as a metaphor. He actually embodies the kingdom of God wherever he goes. And he tends to spend a lot of time at tables. The kingdom of God comes as people gather with Jesus around tables. But as I was preparing for this um, sermon, 
I discovered these words in Luke chapter 22, and I think that they are wonderful, wonderful words, and they contain a wonderful, wonderful promise. I assign to you, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. At the center of Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom that was given to him by the Father, is Jesus' table. (laughs) I love that. I love that Jesus has a table. And I love that the central thing in this kingdom that he has that he has ushered in, that he's going to fully bring about. He has determined and he has given us a promise that one day the kingdom will fully come. At the center of that kingdom is a table. (laughs) It's a big table. It's a wide table. It's a table that's big enough to fit all who would call upon the name of Jesus. It's prepared by Jesus for his people. And I have a suspicion that Jesus will be serving around that table. He revealed himself to be a servant. When he gathered his friends, his disciples, to eat with him, quite often he served them. Because our God, as revealed in Jesus, comes to us as a servant at a table. Now here's the thing. Jesus still builds his kingdom around tables. His method hasn't changed. When I think about the ways in which I have been brought into his kingdom through his church, well, it has been through his church, it's been through his people, but it's been through the hospitality that his people have opened up to me. They have opened up their homes and have made a place for me around their tables. When I look back on my own journey of faith, I can see that clearly now, that Jesus reached out to me through his people, that Jesus has made a place for me around his table as extended and as made available just through his ordinary everyday people, opening their homes, opening their lives, preparing food, sharing good news. And I love that this has the potential to include us all. You don't need a degree in theology to get on board with Jesus' mission in life. You don't need to know the Bible back to front and off by heart. You don't need to have unlimited resources. You need to have a table and an open heart and an openness to what Jesus might do through the humble offerings that you bring to him. Jesus still builds his kingdom around tables. It's just that those tables are now, and for this time, our tables. They are our greatest mission resource. So with that being said, I'm going to hand over to Caroline, who's just going to facilitate a little bit of a a response um, to this, and maybe just give us a couple of suggestions as to how we might respond to, to Jesus' challenge to use our tables and the tables around us for the extension of his kingdom and the fulfillment of his purposes. Thank you, Caroline. Okay. Hi, everybody. Does everybody want to just grab their card? (laughs) 
Hopefully you've all got one on your seat. I love the fact that as Stefan has shared this morning, I love the fact that that Jesus was found in ordinary places. And, you know, through the incarnation, Christ dwells amongst us. And um, I know that sounds kind of simple, but it's really profound that God doesn't choose to remain distant and aloof and in this kind of position that we can sometimes put him, but he came down to dwell amongst us, and he was physically found in ordinary homes of ordinary people like you and I, dwelling amongst them, present with them. And, you know, there's something about that, about being present with people, about um, dwelling with people, just being with people, that I think is, is really powerful. And the reason that we have designed this little card, which I think is lovely. Thank you, Mallory. She is such a creative talent that she can bring ideas to life in a way that I think is really helpful for us. Um, It's because we want to encourage each and every one of you to to kind of take this to heart, I suppose. Um, The reason we've called it table with the colon is to emphasize the fact that hospitality is something we're all able to do. We're not asking you to do something that isn't, you know, possible. Hospitality can look like um, coffee and a biscuit. (laughs) It can look like a three-course dinner if that is the way that you are designed, not me. I can't do three courses or dinner, really, if I'm honest. (laughs) At a stretch, I can. But, you know, it doesn't have to be a Pinterest-style dining event to invite somebody to. It can be a really simple um, food It can be a slice of cake, a biscuit, or a sandwich at lunchtime. So I think it's something that we can all definitely do together. And I love the fact that, you know, we eat three times a day at least. Some of us this this new year might be trying to eat less than three times a day. We were just talking about that. (laughs) After Christmas, I think some of us are trying to fast maybe occasionally. But, you know, actually we all eat three times a day. So there are three opportunities every day at least where we can share food with others. I um, came to this church for the first time probably about 13 years ago now. And um, when I came, I arrived here with my my family. I had a young son. He was six months old. And although I'd actually grown up in this church, um, I hadn't been here for about 12 years. And so all the faces were mostly new. And I can remember being here for about four months and thinking to myself, I still, you know, I'm loving being part of the community. I love the friendly atmosphere on a Sunday, but I still don't really feel like I've made connections and I've made real friends. And um, I'd moved up from London, so all my friends were in London and in other places. And um, one day I was listening to a, a preacher on a, on a CD that I had, and she really inspired me to take the initiative And she was talking about actually different areas of our lives where we can sometimes have lack. And often we actually have the the answer and the provision already in front of us, but we just don't know it. And I heard that message and it really inspired me just to take the initiative. If I really want friendships, then I need to go and be a friend. I need to invite people over and I need to start opening up my home and being hospitable. 
And so that's what I did. And my greatest friendships have been born in this place through opening up my home over and over again to others. And um, so I just want to encourage you as well that, that if, you, if you lack in this area, if you don't have great friendships or strong friendships, but that's something you would really like, then why not take the initiative, be brave, do something about it yourself and um, invite, somebody, invite somebody over, invite somebody out. I love the picture in Acts 2. You know, in Acts, Acts we have a, a picture of what the early church looked like. And there's a verse in Acts 2.46 where it, it summarizes how they lived their lives. And it says, they followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home. Every meal was a celebration, exuberant and joyful, as they praised God together. People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added to those who were saved. And I think that picture is a great one for us to just hold on to. It was a picture of a community doing life together, sharing life together. They did more than that. They shared their, all their resources together. But opening up their homes was commonplace. They went, to the, they went to the temple, they worshipped, and then they just gathered around the table as a natural thing to do. And I know that many of you do that. You open up your homes, especially on Sundays, for Sunday lunches with, with others. But I think that's just a beautiful picture. And wouldn't it be great if we as a church were, were famous for hospitality, famous for the way that we reached out and extended the invitation to others? And... Um, so how about a New Year's challenge? Who's up for a New Year's challenge? <laughs> Come on, give me something. How about by the end of this month, everybody here has extended an invitation of some kind to somebody else here? Let's start here. Who's up for that? Who thinks they're able to do that? Come on, put your hands up if you think you're able to do that. <laughs> Great, okay. Well, I think it would be awesome if that is to happen, that you can share your stories with us. So as that happens, and as you read this little card, which gives you just some words of scripture to think about, and also just some questions to think about, like some, sometimes we are resistant to do this, and it's just helping you to think through what your hopes might be and also what your resistances might be. I think it would be great to hear some, some feedback and some testimony later this month about stories of hospitality, of sharing life and food together. And I'm not talking about food disasters, by the way. <laughs> I'm talking about stories of connection and stories of new friendships forming. So with that, um, let's stand. The band are going to lead us in our last worship song. And I'll just lead us in a, in a final prayer. Father God, I thank you so much that you sent Jesus to us. I thank you that you sent him to be with us, to be present with us, to dwell with us. I thank you that he is always there to be found. And I thank you that where two or three of us gather in your name, you promise to show up. And I just really pray, Father, for each and every one of us here this morning. However we might be feeling, wherever we might be at, 
you're there, you're with us. And I pray, Father, this month as we think about this this invitation, actually it's an invitation for you, from you, to us, to draw closer to you, but also to draw closer to others. I pray, Father, that we will find you and experience you in new ways. Through one another. So I pray your blessing on us. And I really pray, Father God, for your favor. And I pray that there will be just exciting stories fed back this month of all that you are doing amongst us as we gather together, as we share food and we share lives together. Amen.